Welcome to The Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players, by trumpet players, and a cornet guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoneman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geese, Joey Tartell, and the ubiquitously undisclosed Brian Appleby Weinberg. This episode of The Open Bell is brought to you by the World Trumpet Federation, committed to making you say WTF when it comes to your trumpet needs. The World Trumpet Federation is here for you. Home to the Open Bell podcast, informative articles, and helpful videos, the World Trumpet Federation is your forward-facing option when it comes to all things trumpet. Go to worldtrumpetfederation.com and check us out. And by Lipsler World Headquarters. This episode of the Open Bell podcast is brought to you by your friends at the home offices of Lipsler World Headquarters in Cincinnati, Ohio, the home of America's favorite sarcastic Lipslers. Are you tired of playing those same old diatonic lip flexibilities that have been around since the American Civil War? Well, you're in luck. Lipslur World Headquarters is proud to bring you Progressive Lip Flexibilities for Brass, a comprehensive and all-new collector's edition of artisanal handcrafted flexibility studies. As you work through these meticulously curated pages, you will quickly begin to notice not only the immediate musical, technical, and physical benefits of these deceptively simple yet elegant exercises, but you will personally become more interesting to yourself and others, and therefore will win more friends and influence more and better-looking people. You can practice Lipslur World Headquarters Lipslurs with confidence and pride, knowing that no undergraduates were needlessly harmed during the production and testing of these studies. All of our Lipslurs are locally sourced, organic farm to table, no antibiotics, hormones, non-GMO, gluten-free. Each copy of Progressive Lip Flexibilities for Brass offers these exclusive book features. An upper register appendix, a low register spleen, and a patent pending mid-register gallbladder. And as an exclusive offer for our listeners, Lipslur World Headquarters is offering first edition hand-signed by the author copies available at no additional charge. To order your hand-signed copy today, just go to www.scottbelk.com. The Open Bell Podcast is comprised of three segments, warming up, couple things, and no offense. We use these segments to unpack all sorts of trumpet information, make ourselves feel better about our own playing, and to let you know that we think you're doing it wrong. Gentlemen, <laughs> shall we? Today's segment of Warming Up is brought to you once again by Chop Saver Lip Care. Created by professional trumpeter Dan Gosling, Chop Saver really is the answer for lip care. Made with all natural ingredients, Chop Saver has aloe vera, apricot kernel oil, arnica, and avocado, and that's just the stuff that starts with A. To see a full list of the natural ingredients and read some testimonials from very satisfied customers, go to ChopSaver.com and check it out. The entire WTF team runs on ChopSaver, and we couldn't live without it. Do something nice for your face and check out ChopSaver. And, you know, no one's more satisfied with all natural ingredients than our resident vegan, Brian Appleby Weinberg. <laughs> you know, Joey, I'm feeling like today might be the day. I think this might be the episode where Brian actually brings a trumpet topic to warming yeah. up. Are no you a shot. betting man? No, no shot. No I would bet against that. All right. I'm probably going to go with you. Brian, what have you got for us? Well, I've been busy. I've got nothing. <laughs> no, of course I'm kidding. I, I brought a book today. You know oh. it's a you know it's a, a podcast. Right. Is it, are, yeah, is it right? turning this gonna, into an audio book? Or you I'm going to read you. It? Yeah, it's I'm going to read you a book. New Year's story. Um, this is a book called Doctor Dennis. It's by a a, a great British brass bandsman um, named Roy Newsom. Roy was a cornet player, of course. Um, and uh, it's about Dr. Dennis Wright. Um, and Dennis Wright was a composer and conductor and adjudicator and sort of this like mid, mid 20th century paragon of um, brass banding. He wrote and arranged nearly a thousand works. Um, and uh, this, this book is just a you know, homage to him and everything he gave the brass band world. Um, and in the book, they talk about sort of the pinnacle of his compositional prowess was in the Cornet Concerto that oh, he wrote oh, yeah. in 1941. 
Um, and it was premiered by uh, Harry Mortimer. We've talked about Mortimer. Mortimer so, was a. Hold on. Hold go on. ahead. It, so World War Two is ravaging Europe, and he's saying, "I'm going to play cornet concerto." Yeah. Yeah. Great idea. Yeah, I like. Actually, it already. it's it's better than that. He was based in London, and they flew him up to Glasgow with a with a, the military band, so they could do more work and easier broadcasting than doing it in London because of the, the fire bombings. Exactly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that's where he started. He had been working on it for a while, but that's where he really wrote the cornet concerto. <laughs> this is so, but you see how this is, though, right? It, apparently, if you follow the cornet, you're willing to do so no matter what else is going on around you. <laughs> Well, Whether but it's a, Bill, you could you not know. have been more wrong. We got we got cornet and cornet conductor and yeah. composer. Like, yeah, this I, is a the whole threat. thing. I I will no longer trust my feeling on this. This was yeah. not the day. No, <laughs> holy moly! So it's also the um the first uh con- cornet con- the first concerto to be written and performed in three different types of ensembles, so wind band, orchestra, and brass band. And he actually considered the brass band version to be his least successful because the tone colors of the brass band weren't separated enough from the soloist. Uh, it's three movement. Go was ahead. Originally written for wind band. He was with a wind band. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Then, then um, he adapted for brass band and adapted for orchestra. Yep, exactly. Okay. Um, it's a it's a great piece. It's um, pretty romantic, and um, it's more lyrical, less technical. It's not like. Um, there's a really there's kind of an interesting quote by one of the reviewers about um, he never lets the music stop just to show off the technique of the performer, which so many cornet solos he accused so mm. many cornet solos of doing, which I yeah. thought was pretty interesting. Well, when you think about the the number of theme and variations that became exactly. really popular for cornet, but he's not wrong. Right, exactly. So it's it's really cool. It's a great piece of music. Um, and when I get back to playing, it's on my list of things that I'll play again. Uh, so I've got another week. Um, and by this time, I will have been playing. By the time this co- podcast comes out, I will have been playing for nearly a month. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. yeah. So anyway, it, I just I love the book. Um, I've been I've been partway through it. Uh, it was actually a gift from uh, Neil Neil Jowett. Oh no uh, way! Yeah, from Yorkshire. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> and uh, and so it's it's a great book that Newsom did, and just fabulous in, in, information about the the cornet concerto wow. by Dennis Wright. <laughs> I know that I <laughs> wow. I really feel like I just haven't lived until now. Because I didn't know about that. I can't believe you, you haven't. You don't have the right concerto memorized. Like cornet, <laughs> yeah. <really>? No. <laughs> Man. So, but you have played it before, though. I have p- performed it, yeah, several oh, wow. times. Yeah. Okay. With band or with piano or orchestra or what? Um, with brass band, both. Yeah, yeah, with brass okay, band. Okay, with brass yeah, band. Yeah, several times with brass band. So you've done it the least successful way, yeah. according to the composer. <laughs> exactly. Well, well done. Well Just done. Just check it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joey, what kind of cornet question do you have for us today? Uh, I, I, I brought you no cornet questions. <laughs> I did bring you a question, though. I was thinking about this uh, this week as, you know, we're in the break, and so we have time off. And, you know, you have some of those days where there's things maybe aren't working or you want something, you just want to feel comfortable and you want to you go to, right? So I know we all have exercise and stuff. But for me, I have a couple of pieces of music, or especially etudes, that I go right to. Like I'm mm. like okay, I just want to I want to feel comfortable, I want to get going, I want to get it dialed in, I want to play something that I know, feel comfortable with, and there are a couple I go right to. Do you guys have pieces like this that you are like comfort pieces that you go to and play often? And if so, what are they? Yes. What do you got? Um, well, you're gonna laugh at me because the first thing I think about is uh, if I want to clean up my articulation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, come on, man! You can't lead with that. <laughs> I go it's to a slur study. The six eight study in Arben. and all sure. the things. But that's the one. That's your go to. That, that's the go to thing. Just is the response where I want it. What am I doing just to kind of check in? And then, uh, and then past that, there's some stuff in the Conconi book, like number fifteen. That is well, another go to check I'm not sure which numbers, yeah. you know, uh, our numbers don't always match up. Uh, numbers, 11 yeah. and 15 are my, yeah, two sort of go to take the temperature. Is everything cool? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brian, you got, you have any go tos? Uh, Norma variations. Oh, yeah. That's one mm-hmm. of my favorite. And if things are working well, that just seems to 
come out pretty easily. Um, and then if I'm, if I want to play loud trumpet, what do you mean? If? Which I always want to do, <laughs> um, to see if that's dialed in. Um, Is there a time it, you don't want to play loud trumpet? Cause we've not, we've not witnessed. I've never that. experienced that. <laughs> Is the Artunian. So if I can sort of, sort of put a little heat on the Artunian, that's a good, good test. Get me dialed mm. in. Yeah, I'll tell you, one of the ones I use, and I use this also when I'm like trying out horns, because I, I kind of a method. I know you guys are shocked. I'll, I'll try <laughs> Give a system for <laughs> trying out horns. <laughs> but then uh, uh, for me, Brant number 31. Oh. That one, there's a flow to that that just sits. I'm like, yeah, I'll go right to that. Any mm. horn, anything, it's a great one to try out. I remember trying out, it was, I was standing next to Peter Pickett when uh, I had that Blackburn. Um, E flat cornet he had a couple years ago at ITG. Oh I'm yeah, like, oh, uh -huh. let me try that out. Let me try this out. And I started playing that on on that horn. Like, ooh, this is a good horn. I thought I need an E flat cornet. <laughs> you do need an E flat cornet. You'd be a great yeah. soprano player. Yeah. Do you, so, do you have one? I do not. Well, have then one. there you go. N plus one. And that's one exactly right. But that I mean that's what I was thinking about that. You know, as we have time off, like there's some go to things. And I find myself drifting sometimes over to that comfort. I I figured uh, I was not alone in that. So. No, you, we got yeah. stuff. Yeah. What else? What's the What's the other one? What do you mean? Do you have two or just oh, the one? That's That's the one. The The etude that I always just always keep coming back to over and over again. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Bill, what do you got for? Me? Well, it's actually a good segue. I'll kind of piggyback on that a little bit because I I was thinking today about I've got I got students trying some C trumpets. I've got some C trumpets in my office that mm -hmm. that I have on the um, you know Shire Studio Sampler. Uh, program yeah. which they're doing which is just amazing and had students trying sea trumpets and and i i have a system for picking a sea trumpet i think yeah. there's a certain list of things that you need to check in on i agree with you be because it is truly a game of a lesser of all evils and sea trumpets are evil and i mean no offense i mean no offense to our sponsor today scott belk but this is a sea trumpet question <laughs> So that's so, why Scott's not here. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, we're dealing with the technical things and all those challenges that have to do with the C. What are you guys, what, give me, what is your prioritization process? What's most important to you in picking a C? Uh, for me, it's the, it's the same on any horn. First sound, then tuning. There you go. Like, the, I want to know, can I get the sound I want out of that horn? And if, the, if I can't even get a good clear sound on the clear and full sound that I want to hear out of the horn, I don't care about the tuning because I'm done. Yeah. And then I'll go around and start checking partials and checking tuning internal of the horn and, and seeing if, if that works well. And then after I do that, then, I, you know, play some music and see if I can make some music on the horn. If I can do that, then I'm in pretty good shape. Right. I'm ready to go. But yeah, those, same, those same thing. Can in, I make it in that order? Yeah. Can I make yeah. a sound from G to G? So just a G major scale, two octaves. Can I make those sound the way I want them to sound? And then can I can the partials? How far off are the partials? Like, where's the D? Where's the E flat? How sharp is the G? Um, can I get away with that? And then it might surprise you to know. I want to know if the horn will bark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't yeah. believe that wasn't first. <laughs> you want to you want a maximum volume? Yeah. It's interesting when you talk because when we were all growing up, uh, and I mean you and me, Brian, when we still had sea trumpets, not when wow. we were growing up. <laughs> Uh, we were I changing getting, crooks. I, I remember my, my first teacher, you know, uh, I got my C, first C trumpet when I was a sophomore in high school. And he said, here's what you do. Uh, when you get to E flat, you have to play two and three. When you get to E, you have to play one and two. That's just the way it is on C trumpet. And that That's was just right. built in. And even at the time, I thought, well, why? <laughs> well, those partials are low, so we, that helps get them up. I'm like, well, aren't those the same partials on B flat? You know? Right. So, you know, uh, as instrument makers have definitely you know improved upon that I, on my c trumpet i do not have to false finger those notes at all right uh, and they play great and right down the middle but it's interesting you say g to g because i will definitely check sound i'll check those partials and i'll check the overall tuning and one of the first things i like to play pines off stage solo which is essentially g major scale yep right, right. can you make a beautiful sound can you play a g major scale in tune right there is a great test of a c trumpet yeah and you get to check the fourth line d pitch wise yep. in comparison which is yeah. another you know mm -hmm. yeah i think i this is what i thought we were going to talk about I, that we were going to start with sound brian would start with volume but <laughs> joey and i would start with sound you know uh now when i had my c trumpet that i play now brian you were there right yep you were there at shires and they were like try this bell with this part and da, 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 da. and of course 
it's all sound first and then you deal with the details. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we could, we could probably do an episode on this particular thing, especially with sea trumpets. Yeah. But this is, this is true for all trumpets. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, C's when we're coming from B flats, especially for, for younger students can often be, uh, uh, the first real adjustment. It's the first non-B-flat horn that they're playing. Like right. maybe you started on cornet or you've done this, maybe you played some flugelhorn, but you're, you're not on a B-flat instrument anymore, so it can be a, an adjustment of, no, 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 here we go, just play right down mm-hmm. the middle of this horn. But the same thing is, is applicable when you get to E-flat or piccolo. Right, and, you same know, issues. E, the same issues happen, or you know, E-flat e cornet, F-G trumpet, you know, those kind of things. I think actually it's easier to switch to the, have the E flat trumpet be the first non B flat horn because it's because it's, it's farther away. It's far enough away. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is it farther or further? Right? Because uh, it's really conceptually further away. Sure. <laughs> I'm just checking. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's now good. That, that, this is what I thought uh, would happen. Hey, all right, guys. I'm super excited because we've got a new game today. A new game. <laughs> well, I know I know what you're expecting. Backboard bingo. But and I love backboard bingo. I think it really is the thing that put us on the map because it sure isn't the stuff we know about the trumpet. Um, (laughs) This is tromba trivia. Tromba trivia. Tromba trivia. Tromba trivia. And today's version of tromba trivia is trumpet hits of the 60s. Holy moly. (laughs) Is this 1960s? Yes. Okay. This is that pop- helps. This I know. Popular music, right? Where oh the trumpet my. showed up in top. But 40. you're the only one that was that can remember no, this. No, you're gonna know this time. <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't even, even born, born then. Yet. You were too. No, not Brian. <laughs> All right. So here's what I'm gonna set this up. I'm gonna ask you the question, and just like other trivia games, if you don't get it, I've got a series of hints that I'll start dropping on you until one of you figures it out. Okay. Okay. Oh, uh, hints. Right. I like hints. Yeah, they're going to be. You've dumbed hints. this down for us, haven't you? I have because we'll, you have we'll failed miserably. <laughs> You're so bad. I don't want to say, yeah, I'm taking it easy on you, but the next uh, thing of Jeopardy I'm doing in crayon. Okay. <laughs> That's where I am. And we'll okay. still fold. And you're still going to fold. <laughs> yes. Joey's going to send his mom to play. Judy's going to come play. All right. Question one. This song came from a play of the same name that opened in London in 1958 and came to Broadway on, two on, years later. You said 60s. I, you said I'm that's getting 1958. There. <laughs> I'm getting there. That's that, not the 60s. That's, I'm giving you background on it to provide context. Come on. I'm contextualizing. First question, new game. You're, Joey's already bugged. <laughs> you're, you're, you're on committees. You understand how this works. Question one. This song came from a play of the same name that opened in London in 1958 and came to Broadway two years later. In 1961, it was recorded by Billy D. Williams. In 1963, a landmark year, I might add, it ended up on the <laughs> Beatles' first record, Please Please Me, and on Barbara Streisand's debut album as well. Eventually, it was recorded by a trumpeter as a peppy instrumental number that still rose to number seven on the top 40 charts. <laughs> Jesus, Billy D. Williams. Billy D. Williams, baby. Lando Calrissian recorded yes. this. <laughs> yes, he did. Wow. Yes, he did. Wow. All right. So I need the name of the tune, and of course, the name of the trumpeter. And your yeah, first I, hint. Yeah, I take a first hint, please. South of the border. All right. So I've got the trumpeter. Uh, hint, hint number the, the two. The her, trumpeter's Herb Albert. Oh, he's on yes. it. Yeah. You're right. All right. The trumpeter's Herb Albert. Uh-huh. But it's a song with from the play of the same name. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's a play of the know. same name. Well, it, it was is, in play or musical. Had, it always had words to it. Uh, originally it said people play. Sing. Play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not musical. Yeah, and it was in London, and the Beatles recorded it, which I thought Brian would get. These are your yeah, people. That makes it a British question. It's a British question. <laughs> I'm taking you're, it easy. Brian, you're all over this. I've got not half helping of it. Me. I've got the trumpeter. <laughs> I got the important hint, part. Hint number two, how sweet it is. And you are, I had another hint for you, which was AM Records, but you already figured no, out that I it's Herb Albert. That. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know the tune. I don't either. Wow, wow oh, wait, guys. Hold on. Hold on. Taste of honey? Yes. Oh. 
Taste of Honey by Herb Alpert. There it is. Number seven on the top 40 charts. Nice. I didn't know that was from a play. I didn't know. I had no idea. I question them work for this. We're in trouble. That's why that's number one. That's why we're one of the most big trouble educational trumpet podcasts on the Internet. (laughs) We're we're giving. We're giving. We're givers. And it is the season. Question two. This tune was first recorded in 1958. Shut up, Joey, by New Orleans pianist (laughs) Alan Toussaint. Then a trumpet artist recorded the tune and his record company, RCA Victor, sensed its potential popularity and released it as a single in 1964. Despite being in the midst of the British invasion, this tune still rose to number four on the charts. Come okay. on. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Right. That's it. Hint number so one. We, here, all we got is. It was recorded by a trumpet player in, in 1964. Four, before either any of us were, well, you were alive. But I was alive. I was born. I was a year old. I think I might have remembered hearing this. No shot. Hint number one. Please no hammer. Shot. Don't hurt him. Hint number two. Coffee, anyone? Oh, uh, this would be Jumbo. It's uh, Java. Right? Yeah, bye. Jumbo, Al Hurt. There it is. Yeah, yeah. Wow. There we go. Boom. Yeah. Brian, you're wow. terrible at this. I, I needed the hints, but... Uh, yeah. I was pretty proud of my third hint, too. No, I don't mean computer language. That would have helped. Ah, Java. Look at that. That's a huh? You're welcome. For the te- technologically. In- right. Person. Yeah. Question three. In 1963, a landmark year, I might add. There it is. This trumpeter was asked to... One. <laughs> This trumpeter was asked to do a demo recording of a song from a new musical that was about to open on Broadway. In the show, the tune was actually sung by none other than Carol Channing and became very popular. However, it was the recording done by this trumpeter that rose to number one on the top 40 charts. Uh, this, I think I got this. Uh, this is Louis Armstrong, and it's, uh, um, it's, the, it's the name of the show. Um, Right person, right? He's on it. Uh, Hello, Dolly. That's Hello yes. Dolly. yes. Wow. Joey. Yeah. Yes. Wow. When you think Brian, Channing, you, got you think Hello, Dolly, right? What yeah. were the hints? What were you going to give us on that? The hints were you say goodbye. Oh, hello. I say hello. That's a Beatles reference. Good uh-huh. for you. Tying yeah. them all together. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, pardon my French. Ooh. Dolly. Okay. Dolly, yes. And Satchmo like it. There it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I was on that. Here we one. go. Wow, Brian. Oh, that's is, impressive. Brian I'm is just stunned. stunned. I'm, I have no right. idea what's going Neither on. Neither one of you are going to get this. This is intended to be really difficult. Uh, question four This South African trumpeter uh, fled his country to avoid the horrors of apartheid. He went to London and eventually to the United States, where he studied at the Manhattan School of Music. He gained popularity by performing with the birds on their tunes, So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star, and then scored a minor hit when he did a cover of the Jimmy Webb tune, Up, Up, and Away. But it was his recording of a tune called Grazing in the Grass that was pulled as a single from his record, The Promise of a Future. Later, the tune would be re-recorded by an L.A.-based group, The Friends of Distinction, and rise to number three. We just have to name the trumpet player. Just the trumpet player. Is that uh, Hugo Montenegro? No. Isn't that his name? Am I close? Am I just mispronouncing? <laughs> I, I thought you were going to get it when you first started saying it. You actually have the initials right. What's his, la- what's his name? Hints. Hugh should know this. That's the name I have in my head. I have the wrong uh-huh. name in my head, but I have the right guy. He also wrote Soweto Blues and Bringing Him yeah, Back Home. That's who I'm thinking of. I exactly. have the wrong name in my head. He, and he's really known as a flugelhorn player, singer, yeah. and songwriter. Yeah, it's Hugh Masakela. Damn it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I had the wrong name in my head. And wow. Brian, that's is, <laughs> Brian is just staring at me. I have no idea who these he, people are. I had are. that guy in my head. I had the wrong name. Right. Good. Well, these are people that, I mean, this is good. Everyone should know about you, Mass Kayla. All yeah, right. That's true. Here it is. Sure. All right. In 1962, really that's the dawn. previous, the previous dawn, to a landmark year, right? The dawn of everything great about to happen. <laughs> um, Herbie Hancock <laughs> released his debut album, Taken Off, on the Blue Note label. It opened with his now-famous post-bop tune, Watermelon Man, that featured Herbie on keys, Dexter Gordon on saxophone, and others. A year later, Cuban percussionist Mongo Santa Maria 
recorded it with a more more like of an Afro-Cuban feel, and it became a number 10 single that was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1998. Who was the trumpeter on this landmark recording? On Mongo's or on, on Herbie's? On Herbie's. Wasn't that Freddie? Wasn't that Freddie Hubbard? Freddie Hubbard oh, it is. Yeah. yeah. Hints? Yeah, not, tell, tell us. Not Barney. Uh, Fred, right? <laughs> Fred. Flintstones reference. No. Yeah. Don't bother looking. It's Bear. Uh, the covered and hovered, yes. There you go. And he's no freeloader. Ah, Freddie the freeloader. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. That was a tough one, guys. But wow. you're going to do so well next week. Uh, well, actually, in two weeks on Jeopardy. I can't even. Yeah. Hey, I did all right excited. on that. That's you, amazing. You got it. All yeah, the points really to Joey. All, Joey got all the points. Uh, I missed number four there. I had the right initials. Hugh Masakela. Yeah, Masekela. but you were. I, I was, knew who that was. I, yeah. If you had gotten that one right, I'd be really. No, I know that guy. That guy had. He had a. He had a real pop following. Yes, absolutely. Know? Yeah, and it's and, a great story almost too. Sort of. I don't want to use the term smooth jazz because it almost has people look down upon that. But in that sort of audience, mm-hmm. like that's where his his following was. Yeah, cool stuff. All right, boys. Time for a couple of things. Our topic today, intonation. You know, plays well with others has been a topic of assessment since our time in kindergarten. (laughs) At the root of that is playing in tune, especially in an ensemble setting. Being responsible for your own intonation is just part of being a good citizen. The last thing anyone wants to hear is, dude, you're out of tune. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. That is the last thing anybody wants to hear. (laughs) Brian. So... Brian, yeah. You're, you're a resident uh, intonation guru. You want to lead <laughs> off here? Yeah. So um, I, there are a lot of rules when it comes to intonation. And um, and I, I just can't get around the way a lot of people teach it, which is you just have to play in tune. Because I don't think that... <laughs> I don't think that really helps anybody. Like, I don't think a lot of people just don't know that hearing those beats, they just accept it, right? Junior high school kids play out of tune because their hair does on the back of their neck doesn't stand up, stand up when they hear the beats. And so you have to first develop an aversion to those beats to be out of tune. Um, and then I have a lot of friends who um, think that the A they play in a D major chord is the same A they play in an A major chord. It's the same A they play in an F major chord. And you just can't get by doing that. And, um, and I also think that a lot of people don't learn enough that the job of the second players, the, the second player trumpet player's job in an orchestra or an ensemble is to make the first player sound great. And that means playing pitch wise wherever they land and this was brought in stark relief to me when um i spent a week with vince penzarella in northern minnesota and yeah it was it was a it was fantastic i was ostensibly up there to play and teach and he was um there to do some teaching um turned out we had very little work to do um we actually um hung out with scott belk uh, that week uh, in Duluth. Oh, was that when he was in Duluth? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and I was, you know, Vince was going through um, cataract surgery, so he couldn't drive. So he had rented a car. So I was driving around with him and we went out to meals together. And it was a great time. It, but he, I, it sounds like you were hanging with Vince Penzarella. That's it what does. it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't call it that. I think I'm calling it that. Yeah, and, and neither would Vince. Yeah, yeah neither would Vince. <laughs> it, it was it was very cool for me, um, and uh, he talked about um, Phil Smith had been through I think his fourth second trumpet player in a couple of years, and Penzarella was talking about some of the reasons he thought that maybe Phil was having a hard time with the second trumpet players, and and Vince said you know one of the things that that I always did was I always made sure that no matter where Phil was feeling the pitches that I always matched no matter what. And he said, one of the things that he did was he played G natural on the staff, second line G natural one and three. <laughs> oh, so we that's, can move it. that's where Vince played it. He said, sometimes Phil, when he played that octave, he wanted to be a little sharp. Sometimes it was right down the middle, 
but I never wanted to be in a situation where I couldn't follow him. And so it gave me all the flexibility I needed. I could be sharp enough. I could play right down the middle and I could always be, I could always move cool. the slide to be flat enough. I mean, that makes sense, right? Better sharp than out of tune. Right. Exactly. It is the way to go. Yeah. So, um, and just giving as a second player, giving yourself over completely to that pitch of the first player. Um, and okay, that's, that's, can I take these two yeah, things apart? Yeah, go though? ahead. Yep. Right. So right now you've introduced two things that are vital to, to intonation. One, that a note is not a note is not a note, right? When, and I know I've played in ensembles, I'm sure you, you, you guys have as well, where somebody will have one of those tuners clipped on their bell and they're staring at that. <laughs> so they're like, hey, man, tuner says I'm in tune. Well, if, are you playing the, the root fifth, third? Or, you know, those are different. And, and, and tuning, of course, is relative, right? So that's the first part. And, and then you're already into the second part. And the second part of that is, if you're playing, if you're not playing first, your job is, no matter what, going with the first player, that's where you go to, whether or not that is, quote, unquote, in tune or right or wrong, right? Yeah, those, are, yeah. those are two things that right. are both learnable, right? So mm -hmm. I want to talk about both of those things. So I like that we're, uh, uh, let's go further in what you're talking about right now so if you're playing second you're playing third you're playing fourth you're playing in a section your mm. job isn't listening to anyone the first flute player or the concert master or, <laughs> right. or or anything else your job is only one direction and that is to the first trumpet player and that's the end right that's yeah. your contention yeah and and that that a lot of people will do that to an extent but are not willing to go far enough like they don't, they don't believe that the E is really that sharp in that context, that they have to use that much first valve trigger or they have to switch to third valve. I was doing a, uh, I was playing in an orchestra in Europe. Um, and there were 34 different countries represented and there were three Americans in the orchestra. And as I was preparing to go, we were going to play Bartok Concerto for Orchestra and I was assigned the second part, Bartok Concerto for Orchestra. And I was practicing with the recording and I was playing along to the chorale in the second movement, mm -hmm. um, which has some, in the second part, E flats and C sharps. And I was playing along and I could not play them in the notes in tune with the recording. And I was like, this is crazy. I went, I went back to the beginning. I did it again and again. I was finally triggering two and three combinations a lot <laughs> and, no, and no triggers on the C sharps. So I just marked my part that these things were going to happen. Went to Berlin, sat down in the orchestra for the first time. First time we get there, I do all of those adjustments. Everything's right in tune. <laughs> nice. Wow. It was super easy to do once you're there and you've made those calculations in advance. But I never, in context, in a rehearsal, I never would have guessed that my C sharps were going to be flat if I triggered them. <laughs> right, but this, this gets to another part of it. If you're playing second, third, or fourth, and your ears are to a point where you do you can recognize hey listen that's not right the first assumption should be i am wrong i'm wrong and there right? it is and this is a hard thing for trumpet players this is really to. hard for trumpet players yes because uh, trumpet players are always like nope i'm uh, I, this is where i play it this is where my i haven't moved my tuning slide in seven years so i'm right <laughs> you know, no matter what else is going on around me. And that's a really important thing to, to remember. If you're in a section, your assumption should be it's me and make right. the adjustment. And yeah. It, yeah, it's it's hard to it is hard for trumpet players. I was sitting at it was in the Wind Symphony in North Texas. I was sitting there and there was one of these pieces where the orchestration was melodic material was being passed from instrument to instrument. I think it went flute, clarinet, trumpet, solo. And I was doing my part to be a good citizen, but man, I was struggling because where the clarinet was putting the pitch. But in that in that <laughs> particular context, I, I felt like it was my job to match what's going on, and but clearly struggling. And so, the guy next to me who was playing principal for quite a time before I got there, he leans over and he goes, "Hey, what are you doing?" <laughs> right? And I'm like, "Well, I'm trying to take the pitch from the clarinet, and she's a little low on that. And I'm trying." To, he goes, "Yeah, no." You put it where you want it. You make them come to you. <laughs> we explain to you how this is going to work. We put it where we want it back here. They'll adjust to us. I'm like, dude. Except they're going when, first. They're before <laughs> yeah, me. They're first. When they're before do? me. You're going to look wrong or sound no, wrong. But, right, but there's the trumpet thing, right? 
like yeah. reading the typical. Sure. I'm going right. to put it here. So, yeah. Brian, let me, let, let me lead you if I can. Right. Yeah, so yeah. Now, so that takes care of the section part. Assume you're wrong. Make the adjustments. And right. here's the thing. If you're not sure, just guess and go, right? And if that's worse, go the other direction. Yeah, right. flip a coin. Out, yeah, right. 50-50 So shot. then if you're playing first, now what is your job in regards to intonation? Hmm. If you're the first player. So I, I do want to, if we're in an orchestra situation, I, I think it's any similar. situation. It's any first in any section. I think they're similar. But if you, you have wanna, designations, please take us through. Yeah, I think you want to be as stable as you can be. So um, knowing that you have a stable um, pitch center, which for me means going back to a drone daily. So you have that sort of ingrained. I think over time that somebody's pitch, uh, individual's pitch can go up. And so you think you're playing in the center of the horn, but you're actually playing sharper this week than you did last week. Um, so being stable um, and then listening like crazy to everybody around you. So, you know, if you're in an orchestra, you know, in my orchestra, I sit next to the trombone player. So um, if, if I'm making his life miserable because I'm sharp on all my concert Fs, um, I'm going to uh, try to adjust and meet with him. Same with the horn player on the other side. Um, and then, if the, I can, if the brass section is together, then generally the 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 conductor can help the the sections agree, right? The woodwinds and the yeah, yeah. Um, so you're saying as principal player, right? The section's job is to listen to you. Your job is to listen to everybody else. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm not yeah. adjusting for the second player. Right. Absolutely. Because I'll tell you, this is a, an interesting part of what I end up doing, which I've talked about in here a bunch about like playing with uh, with different orchestras. So, you know, I got, I've regularly gone and played with, uh, you know, with Houston, with St. Louis, with Indianapolis, and I've played a couple of times with Cleveland and once with Chicago. You know, so when you walk in, they have a way that they play, right? <laughs> so <laughs> when you're coming in to play principal, which is my job, you know, because they're pops things, you know, my job is to come in and play first, then my job is to play where they play, yeah. which means I need to be mm. listening to the orchestra and going, Huh. And I will tell you, there are a couple. There's at least one of those orchestras that plays a higher than you might think. Mm. <laughs> you know. And I remember the first time I played, I'm like, "What? Huh? Oh my! Let's adjust. Let's get there. Let's get there. Let's get Make there." Make this okay, horn shorter. I'm, yeah, like I, I can get in that place. Right. So the first player's job is to get get their ears in the ensemble. Well, yeah. And, and from both of these places, whether you more so if you're playing principal and you're relying on a second trumpet player who's not helping you, but if you're playing principal and the orchestra's a little wonky, I mean, let's not disregard how intonation and endurance are tied together. Because yeah. if you're, right, <laughs> yeah. if you're lipping everything, you are gonna get worn out pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's. I'm gonna go back to the first thing, if I can, Brian. Can I bring you back? Yeah, of course. So you you went right over, and I want you to take us through a little bit here. Give us a little mini primer on when you're like, if you're root third or fifth, where do those notes go, generally speaking? Because here's the other part of this, right? Tuning is, is is a relative thing, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past. With if you're staring at a tuner, you're doing it wrong. Doing it wrong. Right. Because yes. one, you're using your eyes, and two, hey, who's to say that that a if it's the root is dead center, but if it's the fifth. It shouldn't be dead center in a major chord, right? Yeah. So, so the, where do so, those go? So the idea is the piano is out of tune, right? A piano can't adjust Dude, the, the way the notes need. Dude, your piano's out of tune. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. So, so yeah, so that's 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 a diff difficult thing for a lot of people. So if you're the major third, you're between 13 and 17 percent too sharp. Right. You need to bring the pitch down 13 to 17 cents from where it is. If that note happens to be a sharp note on your instrument, you're in even more trouble. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, the minor third is the opposite of that. About 13 percent flat. So if the note percent you're playing. Percent or cents. You're using those interchangeably. Well, it's the same thing because there's 100 cents in a. In a half step? In a half step. Yeah. There we go. OK. So I'll so, make sure we're clear. Yeah. So. Um, and then the fifth is a little bit flat, about two cents flat. So if you're on a sharp note and you're playing the fifth of the chord, you might be pretty golden. You might not have to move at all. Um, but if you're the fifth and you're playing a D, a fourth line D, and your D rides, rides low, you got some work to do. Mm. Um, and then if the person around you is playing a really sharp G, a fifth below, and they're not bringing that down, they can bump you right off that note, right? You only got a certain amount of wiggle room. You're going to run out of room. 
And so people will do that, like second, I mean, just to sabotage, right? Just to be funny, you can just ride up, ride up a little sharp on everything and just watch the oh, first oh, player. Yeah. Yeah. Literally fall off. You just hear, you can yeah. hear it start to go. Yeah. And that's yeah, kind of fun nothing, to do. Nothing's happier than playing in our C major on your B flat trumpet and you have a written G. Yes. <laughs> I'm just going to let it fly. <laughs> yeah, it's just comfortable. But I, uh, I think the Penzarella thing is really fascinating, right? Because we often go to lipping first, where we have so much more control with slides. Yeah. Right? Especially with alternate fingerings. It's a, it's a huge thing to think about. Yeah, super important. And so the way I teach this is um, I teach it's a few steps. But the first step for me is... Um, just the reality check of a student seeing the dial in front of their face when they're playing that note and going, oh, I had no idea that note was that sharp or that that note was that flat. So just that's just the reality check. And it's just to sort of snap them out of this is where I play the note. The second one is I just show them. I do this little demonstration um, just on a G and I play a drone through the big speakers, the speakers in my office just on a G. And then I play just below it. For, and I hold it a long time till it's really those wah, 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 wah in the, and then I gradually go up to the pitch and they can hear the drone, the beats slowing down and then I go past it. And so they can hear the, me going sharp and they can hear the beats getting faster as I get farther away from it. And I think it's a really important skill. So I think what students have to do is they have to play against a drone every note of their chromatic scale, right? Just to hear where that note is. And then the next step is playing intervals against a drone. Um, so I ask my students to play scales and chords um, against whatever the tonic is um, in, that, in that scale um, and to adjust, to adjust it um, to match. And I think that's super helpful. And once they're doing that, then I ask them to, then we'll play, um, we'll play duets where they play second. They have to adjust everything. There is one etude that, or one duet that I'll pull it out. I haven't done it in a while. Um, that I play with my students um, when they're, when we're really getting heavily involved in pitch and adjusting, and it's um, it's Arben duet number seventeen. And I do it because what's the title it, of that one? It's called Romance. There we go. Um, and I do it because. The first pitch they have to play is, and I always do these inversions. So if it's a sixth, I invert the sixth so that they can do the analysis, whether it's a major or minor third. It just mm -hmm. makes it easier. Um, they have to play the first notes a, ma a minor third, the second notes a major third, the next notes a minor third. It's mm -hmm. C, E, C, E, and D. Um, and so they have to really struggle with how radically they have to shift these notes. And sometimes I'll actually learn, lean into the pitch tendencies of my instrument to make it even more difficult on them um, so I think that's important um, and an important part of the progression um, also if you just play in octaves you know if you hold a tonic and have somebody um, you just do octaves with students so somebody plays the G somebody plays the lower octave G all the way down the scale and then invert it and come back up um, so playing parallel octaves, I think, is super helpful to two students. But once you get people hearing and listening, then you get them in an ensemble, trio, quartet, quintet. And it, I think it requires that you mark down who has what part of the chord. Like you have to write it down. Right. You need to know where those are. People know because I think a lot of people just don't hear whether they're the root third or fifth. Um, and so help writing it down gives them a shot, it gives them a chance to anticipate. So... If you know you're sharp or flat, it gives you much more of a fighting chance. Yeah, you know that, where you're going. An yeah, another good book, if you have the happen. Amston duets book. Yes, I have yeah, the Amston. Uh, at the beginning, they have some just scalar, their whole notes. Yep. You know, some very, very simple harmonies and, and duets, which is a great way to do exactly what you're talking about. It's another place that that exists. Um, a, a quick aside on this issue, Brian, of hearing, you know, I, I spend a fair amount of time doing the honor band thing with the high school students and, yeah. and some who are really turtle all in and I'm totally turtlenecking. Yeah. Um, some <laughs> who are all in and really get it and other others who enjoy their horns and they're kind of on the fringe. So, but I think the intonation thing, even for some college students is, is kind of freaks them out because it's, it's, they don't hear it right away. Right. So what I try to do is remove the stress of that and simply say, I'll start out here. Is it in tune or out of tune? I don't, I don't care that you know if it's sharp or flat. 
Just tell me if right. you think it's in or out. Okay. Then the next step is tell me if it's flat. Yeah. Flat's way easier to hear, I think, right? For yeah. anybody to know. Most, most people, most people can hear flat. Most general flat. audience members can hear flat. So if you're going to if you're going to play out of tune in a, in an ensemble that people are paying to hear you, you better be on the top side. If you're going to be anywhere, be if on the top be, side. Well, that's it. Better, better sharp than out of tune. That's it what just I'm sounds saying. exciting to them. They can't right. actually tell that you're Oh, sharp. man. Real, I could hear you over the whole group. That's right. Exactly. Um, so I, that's, this is my There's process. Shimmer just, to your sound. <laughs> yeah. Just tell me if it's in or out of tune. Okay. Then the next step is when you're comfortable. Do you Tell me if you think it's flat, right? Okay. And then what's left is, well, if you don't think it's flat, then guess what? You yeah. don't think it's flat and you think it's out. Well, then there we are. But I, it's a process that kind of removes some of the, you know, the, the threat of I could be wrong with this. And I, and I love what Joey said a little bit ago too, which is, Hey, you know what? Move your slide. So there it is. If it's, if it's out, move your slide. If it got worse, you were wrong. Yeah. Take a if, shot. If, right. Yeah. Take a shot. Yeah, but do something. You That's know. what rehearsals for. Right. Right. Yeah. It's to experiment and try and figure out what um, you're, where you're supposed to be. The other thing I want to throw in is this idea of mapping our instruments. It's a mm -hmm. great thing to do with a with a partner. So somebody's not looking at a tuner all the time. Right. And that is to say you're going to play play a series of notes, whether you want to do it by key or do a chromatic scale or whatever. And the next person is sitting there with a tune or helping you by letting you know where the tune, the tendencies fall. Right. And, and if you don't have a partner to do it, you can do this just by closing your eyes, playing the note and then opening your eyes and look at the tuner. Right. You play where the scent, where you feel you're in the center of where that horn yes. wants to go. Play the horn. Then open your eyes. Then open your eyes and look at the tuner. Now that is a valuable device. Yes. It should never right. be allowed in a rehearsal. But for this idea right. of mapping your instrument or charting the tendencies of your instrument, it's perfect. Yeah. Super important. You have to know where you are. If you know, and you have to know what you're looking for. If you if you don't, you're just shooting in the dark. I mean, you're just throwing darts in the dark, and maybe you'll hit your roommate. But you want to do that every <laughs> single time. Well, yeah. <laughs> so you want to know where you're aiming. Exactly. Right, and not all not all the horns are the same. This is why uh, you know there, we've all talked about you know there are lots of great horns out there, and you want to find a horn that plays great. But if you've been playing a horn that sits you know, a certain place in this partial, a certain place in this partial, and you've gotten really used to that, and you pick up another horn that doesn't do that at all or has opposite tendencies, you're going to play that horn and go, this horn stinks. Mm -hmm. And for you, that may be true because somebody else picks up that horn and goes, what are you talking about? This horn's great. It's right down the middle. You know, so if right. you're used to playing, you're used to adjusting in certain patterns and in certain ways, then you're going to want to find a horn that complements the way you play as well. And you want to balance those two things because you don't want to be doing any kind of crazy physical contortions to make your horn play in tune. That's why you want a, a, horn, a horn that's good. However, every horn has tendencies and every person has tendencies. And you, that's why you want to find the right match between player and horn. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And it's also helpful to know if your partners in your ensemble have tendencies on certain notes. Well, and this is this is the hard part uh, coming from the, the the jazz band world. You know, the the road band thing isn't nearly as popular as it was. There aren't really road bands in the same way you're growing up because you go out on the road and you play all the time. And you're playing every night and you get used to sitting in that section with those people. Yeah. And you know, and you know, everything goes. This is why um, why great orchestras sound like great orchestras. One of the reasons, not just because there's so many great players, but because they play together all the time. So they mm -hmm. know each other's playing unbelievably well. Like, all right, when that person goes for this, I know they're going to, and I know right where they're going to go, and I know right where it's going to be, and it just lands, you know, almost like magic. You hear these things just like, wow, yeah, that was spectacular. And, you know, it's not magic. It's practice over and over and over and over, playing with the same people in the same roles over and over. It works. Yeah. And, and you, know, you know what you, to expect, right? Yeah. yeah. One of the reasons part of the audition is sitting in the section. Right. Can you right. adjust? Can you do what we do mm -hmm. in this section? Yeah. How's it going to be when you just sit right down and, you know, you're playing. All right. All right. Here, sit down. You're playing second. All right. We're going to run the corral from, you know, academic festival. Now, <laughs> now uh, there's Brian, nothing uh, technically challenging in there. Those are that's pretty much ones and fives. Right. That's yeah, major G major. They're going to learn a lot about you mm -hmm. as a second or a third trumpet player. Just playing that. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Uh, so, Brian, I don't, I don't want to derail the next thing you're going to get to, but we've already removed the stickers from our mutes. 
but let's <laughs> let's talk about mute pitch for a minute if we can too. Intonation yeah, and, and what mutes? Yeah, now yeah. mutes make a difference. What happens there, Brian? Make a make a big difference. So if you're playing a cut mute and you're doing the stone lined cut mute, which I think is a great mute, great sounding mute, it actually makes the instrument slightly low. If you're using the Dennis Wick adjustable cup, another great mute sounds terrific. You're a little bit, sh it's going to make the instrument a little bit sharp. So you really have to do the same process. If you're using a straight mute, generally speaking, straight mutes make the instrument sharp. So you're going to have to pull out. I found that Harmon mutes make my instrument a lot sharp. So I, most, have to, I found that to be true yeah. for most people. Yes. Yeah. So I have to pull out a lot more um, when I'm doing that. If I'm doing tube out, removed, it's even higher for me. So mm. I'm making all of those calculations um, while I'm playing. Uh, on the cornet, of course, it's not a problem because I have a pitch finder on the, on the tuning slide. Yes. I can play them all out of tune, no problem. <laughs> yeah, I was sitting right there. Super easy. Yeah. He, keeps moving his, he keeps moving his thumb, but nothing's happening. <laughs> I don't it's understand. It's not getting better. It's not, that's not working at all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the mute game is another one. I'm, you see, especially high school students do this all the time, right? Mute in. Don't even if they have time. We're not moving that tuning slide. Don't think about it. Yeah. No, this is just what it does. Well, I, I've I've noticed a lot, uh, and I, I remember this from when I was in high school. That essentially, you know, the band director gets up in front of the band, has the strobe tuner, mm. has everybody play a concert F or a concert B flat, goes through the band, sharp flat flat, push in, pull out, pull pull. Okay, now we're ready to go, and now let's play. And then everybody assumes, okay, I've tuned up. Now I'm done with tuning. I don't have to think about it anymore. Right? Yeah. Right? And this, yeah. is, this is a huge now, issue. If you yeah. need to do that to at least get it close. Sure. And I'm not okay. saying that's a bad idea. No. I think that's a good idea to get everybody in the ballpark. But what I'm saying is what we've got to teach is yeah. to sh that it, it, this is an ongoing process. Well, yeah, that the pitch is a living, breathing. It, the pitch is like fire. Right. This is a living, breathing entity. <laughs> and it will burn you. It's like fire. It is going to go where it wants and it will burn you. So pay attention to it. You can take out yeah. a whole city in 15 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> right. yeah. Tuning is done. Let's just play some music now. Well, know? think right. about what happens in the wintertime if you're in your band room and you're the last person to tune in the band. By the time they get to you, if you're playing a brass instrument, you're flat as a pancake because your instrument's freezing cold. Right. 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 Yeah. And so you push in 20 minutes later, you're warmed up and the, so is the horn and you're sh pegging everything sharp. Well, that's yeah. that's usually part about marching bands. That's right. If you're if it gets into the fall and into the winter and it starts getting cold outside, all of the brass go low and sound can sound pretty good. But the woodwinds aren't going nearly as low. <laughs> no, <laughs> in that and, and all the metallic keyboard instruments in the pit are going up. Uh, right. In the front ensemble. Everything's shrinking. Yeah, everything's going higher. Um, I, I want to go back to a super basic thing with this. This is kind of a funny thought, but remember that the word is intonation, which contains the words in tone. Tone, yes. So you're, you can't tune a bad sound. <laughs> like, it, you've got to be making a full, clear, resonant tone in order to even start to dial this in. You can play out of tune. You can play out of tone. Right. But you can't... <laughs> That's, right. That's a little high. <laughs> I played with somebody who who um, there's I called them flarp. They right. played flat and sharp at the same time. I could man, I it was it was yeah. like lightning. It never hit the same spot twice. It right. was just an, amazing. It's an uncentered problem. Yeah. Right. Nothing's yeah. ever centered, so there's no way to tell. There's no pitch. There's no sound center, so there is no pitch center. Yeah. Right. No shot. Yeah. No. In a group like Trombamundi, of course, we've got rules, right? We know where we're listening constantly. Yep. Third chair. Right third chair. Third book. Whoever's in third, that's... They're leading the rehearsal leading. and the pitch. We're tuning to that all the time. That's where it goes, right there. Every that's just, single time. Every time. That's the way it goes, you know. Uh, you know, my uh, college band director, Dan DeSico, God rest his soul, he was the one that told us, you know, he goes, you know, man, I just assumed it was me. I always just thought the whole time that I was the one. I, Joey, you said this earlier. Like same you, thing. Yeah, it, that was the thing that I'll, that just hit home with me early on. Like, man, here's a guy who's a phenomenal musician, and he's saying, "No, I own this at every turn. Yeah. I, I'm going to assume it's me, right? And it's my job to fix. That's it. the way it gets better. And I tell students that professional. It's not that professionals don't play out of tune. It's they adjust so quickly and have already anticipated how close they're going to be. That's what makes it sound like they're always in tune. Right. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a this is a, a great one to tackle. I mean, it's such a fundamental thing, right? It's part of what we do, but man, there's a lot of layers to this, right? And there's expectations at every level that you're going to be able to do it. And when, once you, once you break through to certain professional levels, I mean, it's just, come on. Yeah. Play right. it in tune. It, it, right. If you're showing up, if, if, if you're showing up and you're breaking into a new group or a new city or a new scene and tuning is just a fundamental problem for you because you've never given it this kind of care and thought, you're just not going to last because people just will not want to play with you. And I don't actually think that junior high school bands have to play out of tune. I think the kids just don't know. And if you take some time to help them and it's just a little bit every day, it's like, you know, you don't have enough rehearsal time. We, we know Um, as soon as you pass the music out, it's already too late. I get that. Um, (laughs) I I understand that, that principle. Um, The same thing's true, but if you cover a little bit of music theory and a little bit of history and a little bit of intonation, each time you're with them, over the course of the academic year, they're going to get a lot better with those things. Right. This has got to be part of the fundamental education in music, yeah. playing in tune. We have, we, you know, you have to learn your scales, you have to learn how to read music, and you're supposed to make a good sound. What about how, you know, playing well with others, exactly what Bill started with. Yeah. You need yeah. to play well with others, and that means playing in tune. Well, I think I've, I've talked about this before, the, the four T's, right? Those four fundamental T's of playing in an ensemble, in tone, in tune, right? In touch and in time or with good technique and with good time. And those things are really related to one another. Those fundamental things, it's no different whether it, whether it is a middle school band, as Brian is saying, or the New York Phil. I mean, those are the goals, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, when you sit down, those are the goals. <laughs> Fairly play with, simple. Play with a great sound, play in tune, right? Have great technique and play in time. That's it. You know, beautiful. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a good one. I, I, I love talking about this stuff and love working on it. Um, you know, Brian, you should write your own set of uh, duets that are just chock full of really wonderful problems to solve. <laughs> you should think about doing that. I'm actually not that creative. Uh, <laughs> it might shock you to learn. <laughs> but they, they can only be played on cornet, of course. Yes. Right, of course. All right, well, uh, what about uh, some no offense? Today's topic, using the phrase, dude, you're out of tune. <laughs> In other words, yeah. if you're that guy to point, to make, blame someone else for this issue, then you're not participating at the right level. <laughs> Come on, you man. just might be doing it wrong. <laughs> you might be probably doing it wrong. I had a friend, we had a quintet in, in graduate school in Cleveland. It was a really great quintet. Uh, we could it could play that group could play and uh we were in rehearsal once and we were having a terrible time playing into tune just on a couple chorales and um we the horn player um was like yeah we need to stop and tune this so we're like okay so we went around the went around the group and we started adding parts the four of us were totally killing and and the horn player sat there and said um you guys are all flat (laughs) 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 we went oh what (laughs) Well, one, yeah. one of my favorite things is sitting in the section, right? You're trying to tune the trumpet section, and this one person drops out to fix their slide, and it goes, bam, <laughs> straight line. And the kid looks up like, oh, no, it was I, me. <laughs> I, I was on the road with a, with a saxophone player who kept a tuner on his stand, uh, right? Mm. One of the little tuners on his stand, mm-hmm. and we were having some discussions because we were like, hey, listen, it sounds like on this and on this. And, and he said... It's not me, man. I got my tuner right there. I'm dead center. Oh, it's yeah. It's not me. <laughs> like, that was his first response mm-hmm. to, hey, let's talk. Because this is the thing. When, when, a, when an audience is listening, they do not hear, and I say this to sections all the time, they do not hear, that person is out of tune. What they hear is, that group is out of tune. Yeah. So do you want the right. group to sound better, mm-hmm. or, do you want it to, or do you want to be, quote, unquote, right? Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's when you need to say, did you notice it got better when you stopped? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Let's try it without you. Oh, look at that. Oh, huh. You're right. I guess it's all of us. That. Yeah. <laughs> I love it that. It was. Everyone else is flat. <laughs> That's really good. And from a horn, perfect pitch. <laughs> but horns are notorious for this, right? It's like a frack fest over there, and they're looking at each other. Right? They're just pointing at everyone else. Right. 
all the excuses the, in the book. It's going on down the road there. It wasn't me. Absolutely. That, that goes on. Right after we get the You're Doing It Wrong t-shirts, I think that's the next one. Dude, you're, dude, out, of you're out of tune. Dude, you're out of tune. <laughs> there it is. T-shirt number two. Well, listen, that about does it for today. Thanks for joining us on The Open Bell. Stay tuned, subscribe, and tell your friends. So long for now. Remember to keep an open mind, but more importantly, an open bell.